Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. Hello once again everybody and welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast. I'm your host, Clayton Fletcher, here in New York, where I am on a bit of a time crunch today, uh, but I did want to try to get out an episode. Uh, This might be a little bit shorter than we're used to, but I figured a short episode this week would be better than nothing. Uh, There is a lot going on in the poker world. Uh, I finally found out the last name of the Fedor that I couldn't remember last week. And it is Fedor Cruz, who is becoming something of a household name in the poker community because he is uh, a cheater. So basically, he's using something called RTA. And for those who don't know, RTA is real-time assistance. That's what it stands for. And what it means is that you basically have a solver helping you to make your decisions at the table. And if you could play a perfect GTO style. Of course, it doesn't guarantee victory in the short term, but clearly in the long term, it's basically unbeatable. So he's using this artificial intelligence, if you will, this RTA technology, and evidently his roommates decided to uh, report him for that, and they shared with the website text messages where he talked openly about the solver, which he called the dream machine <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh, I want to give a little bit of credit now to GG Poker. Uh, as I was criticizing them last week for their customer service and some flippant remarks that they made to people that had legitimate questions about this cheating scandal, uh, this week I want to compliment them because they've actually issued a ban. They banned 40 accounts for RTA usage with another 40 accounts reportedly being issued warnings, which basically means that they haven't gathered enough evidence that those accounts are cheating. Uh, Of course, GG Poker does not want to come out and tell us how they are tracking who's cheating and who isn't, but it does appear that They have some type of system in place where they can basically figure out more or less if something suspicious is going on. Uh, Now, some of you might say, well, what if they're just banning players for being really good at poker? Now, Now, who do you think is the best player in the world? The player who's closest to GTO? Is it Isaac? Ike Haxton? Is it Justin Bonomo, maybe Dominic Nietzsche. Like, these are the top players, and they still make so many mistakes each and every time they sit down. Uh, if, the, uh, if the solver, if the RTA would probably make an error of some kind, maybe once out of every million hands or something, These guys are probably making more like 30 or 40 or maybe 100 errors over that same number of hands. So now, of course, I'm just pulling those numbers out of the air, but you guys get my point. The difference between 
the best human player in the world and a GTO robot player is still going to be noticeable by some type of sophisticated technology. And over a long sample size, it would become obvious that someone is not making his or her decisions on the up and up and that is clearly being aided by some type of computer software, RTA, AI, whatever you want to call it. It's basically supposed to be one player per hand and using this dream machine gadget is essentially like having, uh, you know, being ghosted by a supercomputer. So obviously it's not fair to everyone else. I applaud the site for taking measures. Uh, you know, the p- players who were banned had their funds confiscated, which basically means the site keeps the money. <laughs> it's not like they, they spread it out to uh, all the other players on the site or something. Uh, and of course, they're banned from ever playing on the site again. So I, I think it's a step in the right direction. I think that we're in the early stages of this technology. And in the coming years, it will be more and more prevalent and harder and harder for the sites to detect. It's a real problem for the casual recreational online poker player or just anyone who wants a fair game because they're just not getting one. Likewise, when I play online poker, I assume that at least some of my opponents are working in tandem with each other. I don't mean that they're cheating me in the sense that they're at at my table and discussing what cards they have, but certainly a player could have his friend on the phone or even in the room with him and say, oh, uh, Clayton just raised my big blind. What do you think I should do here? And assuming that both of those players know a thing or two about poker, it's kind of like me having two opponents instead of one. I realize that when I deposit funds onto a website and I know that sometimes I will be playing against a team of players or, uh, you know, somebody might be ghosting. I know these things happen, okay? There's no way we can stop them from happening like we can in live poker. Like in live poker, there's no way you can turn around and ask your friend, hey, what should I do with my jacks here, right? So this is just one of the downsides to the online game. But look, I've been managing to turn a pretty decent profit over the last seven months since the quarantine started. And so I think at least at the stakes that I'm playing, this isn't something that we all need to worry about and lose sleep over. But it is nice to see a a poker site taking these kind of actions and trying to keep the game fair for all of us. At the same time, I don't appreciate the way their customer service has been treating people who asked about this stuff. And clearly, they gave the impression that Fedor Cruz was one of their sponsored pros or they have a variety of different color codes you can get as a player, whether you're an official sponsored pro or if you're what they call an influencer or a streamer or whatever. And it's pretty complicated and hard for most of us to figure out. And certainly Fedor Cruz, the cheater in question, had one or more of those special colors on his username 
on the site at least for a period of time. And I think it would be really great to see the site just own up to that rather than trying to deflect and say, no, he's not one of our players. He had that. And they have a bunch of excuses why he happened to have a different color around his name. So that part I don't like. But anytime I see a site trying to make the game more fair for everyone across the board, that is something that makes me happy. Now on GG Poker, by the way, every player has automatic built-in access to a HUD on all of his or her opponents. So, I mean, it's a pretty rudimentary HUD, but you can see the players at your table, how many times they raised, how many times they folded, like stuff like that. So that is nice because it might minimize how much additional software is being used by players running their poker client. So where do you stand on this whole controversy about cheating and RTAs and all these new uh, acronyms that we have to figure out? So uh, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at Clayton Comic, and I love interacting with our listeners. So let me know what you think. All right, so as I mentioned, I don't have a great deal of time this evening, but I do want to take a look at a few more hands from the Dropping Dimes tournament that we were talking about last week. And if you haven't listened to last week's episode, uh, I was playing in a $50 tournament with no rake, part of the uh, package of promotions that WSOP.com did last month in September. So this was a $50 tournament. No rake, as I said, and a guaranteed prize pool. I can't remember whether it was $10,000 or $15,000, but I played in a number of these events, and all of them exceeded fifteen. They ended up between fifteen and $20,000 of the three or four of them that I played. So, uh, you know, we were discussing this tournament, so I want to continue with just a couple of hands from that tournament, and then I will have to call it short this time and again i do apologize but anyway the blinds are 800 and 1600 with a 200 ante this is the uh, middle stages of this particular tournament registration has recently closed um we're doing well the average is around 33,000, and we have 48,000. just got moved to a new table so i don't really have any reads on my opponents no names that i recognized and they seat me in the big blind, my very first hand at this table, and I have king six off suit. So as I mentioned, it's 800, 1600. We have 48,000. So our M is 11 and a half ish. We got like 30 big blinds. Uh, and from fourth position, the player in the low jack opens to 3200, the min raise. And we have him barely covered. He's got 46K. So it folds to me in the big blind. Again, I have king six off suit. All right. So we have a lot of options here. Some of you would fold this. I really just can't. It's like not, it's beyond my capabilities to fold when I'm getting such a good price to call. But I really think that there's a case to be made for three betting. You know, I just arrived at this table. They don't know me. They don't know how I play. Presumably, some of them might recognize my name, but I don't think that I'm any version of poker famous <laughs> at this point in my career. Uh, so I, I usually assume that 
my opponents don't know me very well when I first sit down at a table in a tournament like this on WSOP.com. So with that, my three bet might get some respect. The problem is if I three bet and don't shove, uh, I'm going to be in an awkward spot if my opponent does anything like, like if he keeps raising, of course I'm going to want to fold my king six. But the problem is if we put some numbers on it here, uh, he raised to 32. So a reasonable three bet from me would probably be something like 9,000 or 10,000 at least. And again, he only has 46,000 to start. So if he shoves over the top of that, I'm going to be getting a pretty good price. So when he shoves, there's 58-ish in the pot at that point, and it would only cost me another 36 to call. So obviously we don't want to call with king six, but by virtue of the fundamental theorem of poker, <laughs> to take it back old school David Sklansky style, I will be making a mistake some of the time because I technically should be calling uh, versus a lot of my opponent's shoving range. I'm getting the right price, believe it or not, against hands like ace-queen, ace-jack, and the like. So I like to stay out of those spots where it's too easy for my opponent to put me in a tough situation. So sounds like I don't want to three bet small. Does shoving make sense here? Well, there's 7,800 at the time when it's my turn to act. And I think shoving is a little too much. And we've talked before about squeeze plays and trying to collect chips in tournaments without seeing a flop. Uh, I would like to have a little bit more in this pot, though, before I risk 46000 of my 48000 The question is, is it worth risking 46000 to win 7800 I mean, I think it becomes more attractive when you can, when we start talking more like 10000 So, but because it's only 7800 I don't like that option either. So I don't want to fold, I don't want to raise small, and I don't want to shove. So looks like we're calling. And that's the only option left. So I do call and we're gonna see a flop. Now listen, when you take a flop from the big blind, mostly because of the attractive pot odds you're getting and not as much because of the actual strength of your hand, you should often have a plan for winning some of those pots when you miss the flop. So in other words, I think part of the reason why I can call with a pretty wide range from the big blind is because hopefully I have developed my bluffing skills and I'll be able to identify bluffing opportunities on later streets. In other words, I'm not just counting on flopping a top pair of kings or trip sixes to win this pot. There are other flops that don't necessarily hit my hand, but well, we'll just talk about the flop that came and you'll see what I mean. But the general point that I'm trying to make is that it's important for you to have uh, a plan that doesn't just involve fit or fold. So the f- we do call and the flop comes. Ace of hearts, queen of clubs, jack of clubs. And we have the king of clubs 
six of diamonds. So we have king six off on ace, queen, jack with two clubs, and we have the king of clubs. So uh, not a great flop for us, but we got a, we've got a little bit going on here. We've got a gut shot, like a 10 will give us the nuts. And we also have a backdoor king high flush draw. So uh, we check, as I think I will 100% of the time when I have just one opponent, as I do here. So we, we're always checking every flop here. And our opponent bets 1,600 into 9,000. Now, this is the minimum bet. Some opponents will make this kind of play with a very strong hand, like ace-queen or pocket-queens. Uh, you know, those kind of hands. But more often than not, when you don't have any other information about your opponents and you're playing in a $50 buy-in tournament, only open to players in two of our 50 American states, you can pretty much assume that this small bet is almost always a small-ish hand. So it could be, I think, a hand like king-queen or queen-ten, like maybe like a pair and a gut shot that isn't top pair. If it is top pair, it's probably something like ace-five of spades. So he's got top pair with no kicker and no backdoors. I mean, that's kind of my basic read. Obviously, if this player ends up being more skillful, then he can make this play with those monster hands and fool me. But my snap judgment of the situation in which I found myself at this moment was that it was unlikely that my opponent had a monster. So I, dis I have options here. I can check-raise it. Uh, even if my check raise gets called, I can turn a 10 and make the nuts. I can turn a club and make a great uh, flush draw, king high flush draw. So I could also turn a six or a king to give myself a pair. Not that I would necessarily think that pair was good if my check raise gets called. But we've got a lot going on here. So check raising is definitely an option. But, you know, when your M is 11 and a half, you get into some weird spots when you make plays. This is also why, as I mentioned, I didn't want to three bet pre-flop because you just start getting too close to, too close to commitment. Obviously, if we check raise and get shoved on, we again have to fold. And as I mentioned, our hand has somewhat decent equity here. So it's kind of a disaster when that happens, I'd rather get that equity first and then put my bluffing plan into motion. So we just call, I mean, for 1600 with, you know, 40K behind, I'm not interested in folding my gut shot here, especially with my backdoor club draw. So I'm basically priced in to call more or less. So yeah, we just call and with 12,000 in the pot, we see a turn, and it is the four of clubs, giving us a king high flush draw. So I'm going to bluff this card 100% of the time. The question is, do I want to bet? So we do a check call lead, which is a, a pretty unusual line, or do we want to go for a check raise? 
I actually got a little greedy here and decided to go for the check shove. Now, you might say, but Clayton, aren't you worried about getting called? Well, no, actually, I'm not. I don't think that my opponent would have played the flop the way he did with a flush draw. So I'm not worried about being beat right now by a flush. If I'm beat right now, a lot of times I'll be beat by hands that just can't call a check shove on the turn. So I'm looking to push him off of those hands, uh, like a weak ace or possibly a hand like queen 10. So we check, hoping that our opponent will bet small again so that we can just get a few more chips out of him when he folds to our, to our shove. Uh, instead, our opponent fails to oblige and he checks behind. So there's still 12,200 in the pot. And the river is the six of spades for a final board of ace, queen, jack, four, six, with three clubs. And we have king six with the king of clubs. So our final hand is one pair of sixes. And since we were greedy on the turn and our opponent didn't oblige with the bet that we could shove on, we now have a little bit of an awkward situation. First of all, I don't think that my pair of sixes will be good very often. Although once in a while, my opponent could show up with a hand like pocket fives when all is said and done. But I do think that checking now, we might end up getting outplayed by hands like pocket fives that just don't feel they have quite enough showdown value. And then of course, we don't have enough to call a river bet. So if we check here, we're pretty much giving up on the pot, which is fine. There are spots that <laughs> you should give up on. As Matt Stout joked with me, I need to find the uh, brake pads once in a while. But I just felt a little too emboldened by my opponent's behavior in the hand. I mean, he opened to 3,200, bet the minimum on the flop, and then checked back on the turn. So I think we need to try to win this hand. So... We could check, hoping for a check back, and then show down a pair of sixes, which, as I mentioned, would sometimes be good. But I just fear that I don't want to let my opponent win with a hand like Jack-10. So I decided to bet, and I'm representing a big hand here. I'm pretty polarized, I think. There aren't that many hands that I would bet on the river. I mean, most of my one-pair hands would check, hoping to catch a bluff, right? So it's unusual for me to bet without a big hand. So I have to polarize myself here. I either have a flush or a straight or I have a bluff. And so when we are polarized, we like to bet big so that you can make the same bet with your value hands as you do with your bluffs. So I go ahead and fire out 10,000 into the 12,200 pot and our opponent folds. So I don't know, maybe this bet's a little too big, but I just didn't want him to be able to hero with something like ace three or jack 10. So I wanted to make sure to get those folds, which is very important in tournaments. So what do you guys think about this one? It was a nice hand for me. I already had an above average stack. And after this hand was over, I had uh, almost a 2x average stack, which is great. 
uh, always nice to feel like you are kind of winning the race, as it were, even though tournament poker is a marathon and not a sprint. So really quickly, let's go over one other hand from this tournament. It's, uh, let's see, a little while after that last one. Now the blinds are 2,000, 4,000 with a 500 ante. And I'm at yet another table. But at this table, I actually know two of my opponents, one of whom is in the big blind. And now this big blind player is one of the wildest, loosest, most loose, aggressive maniacs you will encounter online. Virtually never passes up on what he perceives to be a spot. So I've watched this guy play. I've played with him in several other tournaments on the site. And I'm convinced of two things. Number one, I'm convinced that he's a losing player. (laughs) You just can't win being that aggressive. And number two, I'm convinced that the right strategy against him is to trap. So it's folded to me in the small blind. So I'm going to be heads up against this opponent. And we have ace five off suit. So you could certainly uh, make a case for raising. Oh, let me tell you the, the, the stacks. So we have 125 in our stack, 125,000. And he has us covered. He's got 160. And the two of us have everyone else at our table covered as the average stack is in the neighborhood of 60,000-ish at this point. And the table is seven-handed for the moment. So, as I said, it folds to us in the small blind. Now, at this point, you could certainly raise. um, We have wiggle room. Our M is 13. We have uh, 31-ish big blinds. So, we could certainly just make a standard raise with uh, a a naked ace in our hand. That's totally fine. I have no issue with with that strategy. Uh, Here, I decided to get a little trappy just because I'm trying to exploit my opponent's tendencies. So I limped in hoping that he would put in a raise because against his raising range, blind versus blind, my ace five is practically the nuts. So we just limp in and he does oblige. He makes it 12K and we come over the top for 35,000, which I think is a good sizing. It's about three times his raise. I could go a little smaller if I want to, just to make sure that I get called when I have a monster and, you know, whatever. But I, I think that this raise size is right for my whole range. So I would make this play with ace king. I would make this play with pocket aces. And I have an ace in my hand, so I block some of the hands that my opponent would continue. Uh, but all that said, he does shove, and we do have to fold. So. Uh, Not a happy ending to this story. I lost about 30% of my stack here, which is no fun at all against uh, an opponent that I know to be wild and loose. But I don't think he's so wild and loose that he's going to risk 125,000 of his 160,000 without actually having ace five beat. So I had to fold. So uh, yeah, I kind of like this play anyway, even though it didn't work out this time. I'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. Uh, so please send me your tweets at Clayton Comic. And also, uh, if you're still in the market for a training site, I can highly recommend Tournament Poker Edge. We have 
amazing coaches. We have Jared Smith, newly signed <laughs> free agent. Um, you know, he's got a, a runner-up finish in an actual live bracelet event in Vegas. He's done extremely well uh, online over the years, and he is an absolute crusher. So he's been making videos for us now. We have, obviously, Andrew Brokus, my hero. Um, Alex Fitzgerald, my other hero. Daryl Jace. Um, it just goes on and on. Colin Moshman. We have some of the best coaches, and you can have access to each and every one of their videos for the incredible price of $25 a month with your one-year subscription. So give it a try if you are so inclined. And that'll do it for this a truncated episode. Hope you enjoyed it. For everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you all so much for listening. Love nobody. Everybody, everybody knows she can't.